Well, I, I think no surprise that uh, everybody seems to think that New Jersey is uh, the likeliest destination for Timo Meyer at this point, and the fit is perfect. So, You're now listening to the Boys in the Booth podcast with your hosts, Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. Welcome to episode 160 of the podcast. All three of us back together for this one, Cody, Abrams, and Melbourne. Uh, Guys, hard to believe we're almost at the end of February here, and uh, we're less than two weeks away from the NHL trade deadline. It seems like we've been talking about this forever, uh, building up to it, and we're less than a couple of weeks away. So how are we doing this evening? It's funny that this time is like simultaneously one of my favorite times of the year and least favorite times of the year. I do love the hype of the trades. I love when trades happen, but all of the rumors and all breaking, all that drives me insane because 90% of it is absolute garbage. Not true. Not happening. Doesn't matter. Jacob Chikorin's never getting traded. Clip that later when he does. But Harp. Yeah, I'm back here. Um, Past weekend was busy because I was moving as last week I wasn't on the episode because I was dealing with a partial flood. So that's behind me now. I'll be living in Toronto for the next month or maybe two. We'll see how it goes. And then uh, I should be in a new place here soon. So yeah, busy, busy times, but I've got a fun weekend coming up going to Tromblon for four days. So all good now. How about you, Chad? Very nice. Uh, Harper, are we taking count of how many backgrounds Casey has recorded the podcast in front of? Because this might be the 10th apartment in the last few years since we've... This is the 10th place oh, I've yeah. lived since 2015. <laughs> since we started doing the podcast. So, uh, you know, maybe we need uh, to get a whiteboard or something and, and put a couple yeah. more ticks down in the next month or so. Days since last year. Yeah, exactly. We have a counter behind you. Uh, no, boys, doing well. Uh, last week, obviously, for me as a Leafs fan, was pretty exciting. I did that episode um, solo, a Let Us Explain episode, explaining the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And uh, if you listen to that, you'll know that although I think it was a bit of an overpay, I am pretty excited to get the player. And not only him, but Nolachari as well. So uh, very excited about that. Also, last episode, uh, when it was just two of us, Harp, I mentioned that uh, reading week was coming up. Well, now it's here. But the thing is, I think I underestimated how much reading and writing, actually, I would have to do on reading week because apparently I have an assignment due tonight and it's the first day of reading week. So riddle me that. It makes absolutely zero sense. But that's what my few days have been. Uh, and overall, it's been pretty good, except for fantasy, which we're going to get into a little bit here. But before we do, Harper, how are you doing? How was your weekend at the Brockville Winter Classic? It was uh, it was an awesome weekend. I know that uh, you guys saw enough photos and videos and stuff like that from the weekend, but it was great and uh, got to do some really cool things. Got to play in the outdoor tournament down at Rotary Park. 
uh, where you guys spend quite a bit of time uh, when when you're home here in Brockville, of course. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, the team I was on, MNP, actually ended up uh, winning the tournament, which was awesome to be a part of. And then uh, Sunday, got to do uh, play-by-play for the big alumni game uh, in front of just a, a packed house at the Memorial Center with uh, the Maple Leafs alumni in town. And so really great weekend. And uh, later on, we're actually going to hear um, a, uh, a part of an interview that I did with one of the Maple Leafs alumni that was here in Brockville this past weekend. So stay tuned for that later on. But uh, guys, I'm, I'm great. Uh, and it was a really good weekend. So couldn't be happier. Right on. All right, fellas. Well, let's get into uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. And as we mentioned off the top, the uh, NHL trade deadline is less than a few weeks away. And we're going to look at uh, the center of attention when it comes to the forward market. And that, of course, is Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks. And as we look at this um, forward market, it's looking a little thin now. Like he's the biggest name that's available. I think it, it's fair to say Ryan O'Reilly is off the board. We know that now. Before him, Vladimir Tarasenko going to the New York Rangers, and of course Bo Horvat. Uh, before that, going to the New York Islanders from the Vancouver Canucks. So this is going to be fun. You guys know that I'm excited for this, and I, I love coming up with mock trades and and uh, potential destinations for guys and we're going to do that with uh, the biggest fish available and that's Timo Meyer of the of the San Jose Sharks the fantastic power forward that uh, I'm convinced Chad has a crush on so uh, all right Case let's go to you first and uh, we're not going to be surprised at all with uh, your potential suitor uh, for Timo Meyer that has been uh, heavily uh, out there in the rumor mill and such for quite some time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much contractually obliged to mention the Devils here. Um, I was going to wear my San Jose jersey on top of my Devils jersey and you know take the San Jose. It was going to be a whole spectacle. But of course, as you can imagine, they're in boxes right now. So not doing that. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk about Timo Meyer and New Jersey Devils. That's obviously been the rumor. Um, I'm trying not to get my hopes up because Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau were rumored of the Devils at one point. Johnny Gaudreau, I pretty much was slotting him into my, uh, my lineup at one point, and that didn't happen. But this one I'm feeling a little more com- uh, comfortable in. Um, so why tr- the trade and sign makes sense is that this is the missing piece for the Devils. The thing the Devils lack up front is size and physicality. Their forwards are mostly undersized in the top six. And Tom Fitzgerald has been vocal that a top six forward is his target. He said, I'm looking for a top six forward on the younger side with team control and that he'd be willing to give up significant pieces. Well, that is exactly Timo Meyer. Um, another thing is the Devils' power play is kind of their weakest point at, at like currently, and he is a power play beast, similar to an Alex Ovechkin where he just kind of sets up in his spot and just wires them home. So those, like, you know, the fit makes perfect sense, but now the connections, Harp, don't have an accident in your pants here, buddy. Um, the connections, first, first of all, the obvious one, everyone talks about it, 
the Swiss connection. Heischer, Siegenthaler, both locked up long-term, so that's going to be a nice fit there. Tom Fitzgerald's brother, Scott, is the director of player personnel at San Jose. Uh, Greer, the GM of San Jose, was on the Devils coaching staff not long ago. 2019-2020 was his last season there. And finally, Claude Lemieux is Timo's agent, who, Devils legend, and is also the agent for uh, Fabian Zetterlin on the Devils. So connection galore here. I love Uh, it. Absolutely love it. So now into the trade. Um, I have two scenarios, two different trade types, depending on what they want as the big piece in this. Um, The first one being Alex Holtz, Miles Wood, Seamus Casey, a 2023 first round and a 2024 fourth round. For Timo Meyer, with salary retained probably 50%, and some AHLer for the contract spot. So that's that's the the first scenario I have here. And in both scenarios, Timo Meyer signs immediately nine million for eight years. Um, similar but better than the Bo Horvat contract. Okay, that's a lot. So if we want to talk about that one first, I can get in the second one after. Yeah, how, how about we do that? So this first deal then case. Sending Timo Meyer to the Devils is centered around Alex Holtz, correct? That's the main piece that you think is enticing San Jose into this yeah. deal? I think obviously a first-round pick is a main piece, but I think that there's going to be one blue-chip prospect here, and um, Alex Holtz makes a ton of sense. He's kind of... Timo Meyer's kind of what you want Alex Holtz to be in the future. That's kind of what his potential is, we'd hope. Um, so. It, it makes sense for the Devils to to do the swap here because Timo Meyer is the guy now and Holtz is the guy in the future. Makes sense for the you know the the rebuilding San Jose Sharks as well. He's a seventh overall pick. He has tons of upside. And honestly, I'm just having a hard time seeing him get into the Devils lineup consistently enough to start producing. So I'd be another uh, good thing for San Jose. They can slide him in there with uh, with his his buddy Eklund as well and. Let's see what those two snipers can do. Yeah, well, initial thoughts. I like the trade. Obviously, Timo Meyer is the perfect fit for any contender, really, but especially the Devils who need that sort of offense up front to complement some of their other guys who can score, uh, but they also need that physicality above all. So Timo Meyer obviously fits that mold. He shoots a shit ton more than almost anybody else in the entire league. Um, he hits a lot and he's just a great player all around. So the fit, I don't think we have to talk about that again. It's just perfect for any contender, but especially the Devils. In terms of the return, I don't mind it for New Jersey. I think if they can get a deal done for Timo Meyer and get him signed without giving up one of Luke Hughes or Simon Nemich, then it's an absolute win. I honestly think that there's three players that are almost untouchable and will be asked about from San Jose, and that's Nemitz, Luke Hughes, and Dawson Mercer has has really fallen into the category of untouchable for me. Um, I'll really be hurt if he's gone for sure, but uh, I think those three guys are out of the question, and the Devils would rather pile prospects in than than give up any of those three because the Devils are like the you know ranked third best pipeline in the league. They've got tons of guys in the system and a log jam uh at forward and defense so it, it makes a lot of sense to give up more pieces than big pieces yeah for sure well i like the return i think it would be 
a relatively fair deal. Harper, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I, I think no surprise that uh, everybody seems to think that New Jersey is uh, the likeliest destination for Timo Meyer at this point, and the fit is perfect. So like you said, Chad, we don't need to get into that any further. But uh, I like this return for uh, both teams, for the Devils and for the San Jose Sharks. Holtz coming in, he can join Eklund and... Um, Oh, the the other prospect, Bystead, that I talked about ahead of the World Juniors. They're all Swedes. They clearly like uh, their their two Swedish prospects. And you add another guy who is very talented and, like you said, Case, unfortunately can't get into the Devils lineup full-time because there's simply just a logjam. So um, he'd be really good there. He would really excel. And uh, Mike Greer clearly wants more picks and more prospects. So that's perfect. Seamus Casey, again, um, I I think you could go either way. Maybe the return would be a little bit less if you went with uh, Muka Madulin, who's also a first-rounder instead of Seamus Casey. But, uh, you know, he was a second-round pick pick and, and a very good defenseman. And then Miles Wood sheds a bit of salary off the books and, and goes back the other way. And then the first and uh, potentially the fourth in 2024 as well. So I, I like the, the assets uh, going uh, each way for, for both teams. And again, just the fit uh, with the size and, and the scoring ability and uh, the Swiss connection as well. It's, it's a match made in heaven uh, for the New Jersey Devils. But really good, uh, really good trade built here by UK's this first one. And I like the return for San Jose. If I'm in Mike Greer's shoes, I'd be happy about this for sure. Yeah, and I think Miles Wood makes sense. Um... It's not just a cap dump, but he's really struggling with New Jersey at the moment. He's playing fourth line constantly. The other night, he played four and a half minutes, I think it was. So it would make a lot of sense for a change of scenery for Miles Wood. And I think that you could slot in pretty highly with San Jose and kind of add a different, well, really replace that that game style of of, uh, Timo Meyer you know, banging bodies, but also putting the puck in the neck uh, occasionally for Miles Wood and more so for Timo Meyer. Um, now, the second trade I could talk about real quick here. Um, well, Harp mentioned it already, but the big piece I think would be Shakira Mukamadulin. Um, he's, again, having a really great season in the KHL. He was a first round pick for the Devils. There's been so much discussion on what this guy can be but uh that's really yet to be seen but the big piece here is is not only that he's a young talented defenseman with lots of upside but he is also already signed to an nhl contract uh removing that that confusion or not confusion but you know the variability of a khl player so that's that's big for him uh the next piece is would be graham clark and uh, the 2023 first round pick, 2024 third round pick, upgrading from the fourth in the previous trade, and Andreas Johnson as the uh, cap dump and contract flip. And then the same return for the Devils, Timo Meyer, 50% retained and a AHL contract. Um, so yeah, you, you're basically flipping your, your big prospect in, in the trade to being a defenseman instead here. And then I think the secondary pieces are better than in the first so it, it kind of equals out in the end. Graham Clark's having himself an amazing season in the AHL right now. Uh, 18 goals, 21 assists in 49 games currently. He's only 
21 years old and has been playing in the AHL for two, uh, almost two, almost three years because of the pandemic. So that's, that's some huge uh, experience for him. And he's got a lot of upside as well. He's a third round pick, scored a lot of goals for the Ottawa 67s. And I think he's another guy that's going to get lo- lost in the log jam in New Jersey. So it makes sense to give him a new home. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, Andreas Johnson, he has a no trade clause, but I think it would be stupid to not waive that to get a chance with a team that could play him. <laughs> yeah, very true. This one, personally, Case, I don't like as much if I'm uh, the San Jose Sharks because I think the return on the first one, just because you included Alexander Holtz as the key piece, I think makes more sense for not only you're getting a better player, but you're getting a better fit, I think, for San Jose. He talked about the Swedish connection of their young players, Harp. So I think the first one just makes more sense for that reason. Also, if I'm the Devils, you know, even though internally they value Shakir Mukamadoulin pretty highly, I just don't know how much value he has around the league not being a top 10 pick, you know, like compared to a guy like Alex Holtz, who everyone coming into the draft knew his name, watched him light up the world juniors and has seen him develop. I just think a guy like Shakir Mukamadoulin might not have the uh, upper limit that a guy like Holtz does when it comes to production. I know Mukamadoulin's a defenseman, but I'm saying I think there's a difference there in the uh, high-end potential between the two prospects. So if it were me and I'm representing San Jose, I definitely want to get the first package rather than the second. Also, too, because it included a guy like Seamus Casey, who I was really high on in this most recent draft. And I think around the league, whether it's fair or not, might have even similar value to a player like Mugamadoulin. Um, so yeah, I would prefer the yeah. first package. I think the assets are there for the second one. It's just not as sexy to me if I'm San Jose. The, the one thing I thought about with this second scenario is actually adding one more piece on uh, New Jersey's side, and that being one of the more ready now defensemen in uh, whether that's Kevin Ball, Nikita Okoychuk, or Riley Walsh. Um, I think that makes sense for this, for San Jose, uh, not a lot in the pipeline on the back end. So adding two prospects on defense, one more ready now would be nice for them. And then this trade for me starts to sound like Taylor Hall to the Arizona Coyotes, where they didn't necessarily get the big pieces in that trade, but it was an abundant of players coming back. There was three young um, AHL players with potential. One of them has turned out, so it didn't really work for the Devils, but they did get a first and a third. The first was Dawson Mercer, and the third was Jonas Siegenthaler. They traded that pick for him. So this second scenario, if you add in a Riley Walsh or Koychuk or Ball, that starts to sound like the the Taylor Hall trade to me, and and that makes a lot of sense with comparables. Taylor Hall, uh, that was the season after he won the MVP, so there's a lot of value there yeah true and there's something to be said uh, about this trade too like just thinking about what san jose really wants like thinking about where their timeline is right now because at this point i don't really think we know until maybe after the trade deadline or maybe after this summer when they've kind of picked a direction and gone with it we know they have a bunch of young good players but they still have some pretty tough contracts on that team like eric carlson is likely not going to be moved at the deadline um and and mark edward vlasic is another tough contract like 
who knows when they'll be able to compete. I could also see San Jose wanting to go the route of two first round picks in a return and sort of spreading them out so they get twice the opportunity at a good player in the future if they think they're a bit further along than uh, maybe some other teams do. If that means we don't have to give Alex Holtz, you can have to. Yeah. <laughs> you can have three. Like. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And uh, Chad, sorry to uh, jump all, all over you there uh, before you were talking. Uh, but um, I, I will say I agree with you that the first package I, I liked a lot more. But I will say with the second package and uh, Muka you know, being kind of uh, the the big name going back to San Jose. Um, the, the Sharks are pretty thin when it comes to uh, defensemen in the pipeline. So I know we've got uh, Seamus Casey in the first one, but uh, in the second package, I like the idea of having, you know, a couple of defensemen in there, Mook Medulin and uh, maybe Riley Walsh or Koychuk or, or someone added in there as well, because uh, I, I can't think of any uh, defensive prospects that they've got in the pipeline, uh, whereas the other one would uh, would add to um, an already um, strong, you know, prospect forward group that they've got developing there. So um, that's uh, that's what I think when uh, when I think of the second package there. But honestly, both pretty solid case. And and again, I mean this this fit uh, Meyer with the Devils just makes so much sense. And I like the connections that you had there too. All right, uh, Chad, we'll we'll go to you now with uh, your potential suitor for Timo Meyer, and uh, really, this is the second team that kind of comes up in a lot of conversations when it comes to uh, potential suitors for uh, the big uh, Sharks power forwards. So uh, let's get to yours and uh, your uh, mock trades. And now a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid IV. Whether you're staying active or nursing a hangover, Liquid IV has you covered. Just one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's made with premium ingredients, it's non-GMO, and it's free from gluten, dairy, and soy. There are plenty of awesome flavors, but my personal favorite right now is lemon lime. So get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code boys underscore in underscore the underscore booth at checkout. That's 20% off anything in the store when you order using the promo code boys underscore in underscore the underscore booth at liquidiv.com. Experience better hydration today with Liquid IV. This podcast is also sponsored by the best ticket app out there, SeatGeek. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, making it quick and easy to get the best deals on tickets to your favorite sporting events. Plus, Boys in the Booth listeners get $20 off their first ticket purchase on SeatGeek with the promo code BOYSINTHEBOOTH in all caps. So click the link in the description down below to download the app and remember to get your discounted tickets using the code BOYSINTHEBOOTH in all caps. Get great seats for a fraction of the cost with SeatGeek. Yeah, that's right. The Carolina Hurricanes are among the top suitors, in my opinion, to land Timo Meyer. And it's because, surprise, surprise, they don't have Max Pacioretty in their lineup anymore. You know, if you asked me two months ago, 
if Carolina was going to be in on Timo Meyer, obviously I would have said no. They have Pacioretty coming in on uh, from from their LTIR spot. He's going to play f- well for them down the stretch. He makes seven million bucks. Well, unfortunately, he did come back, but then was re-injured shortly after with uh, the same Achilles injury and. We don't really know what his future is going to look like. That's a tough injury to have. I think it's similar to the Eric Carlson injury, which just completely destroyed what he was as a player for like three seasons. And now all of a sudden he's back. So I I think it's kind of up in the air. And who knows uh, what's going to happen with Pacioretty, if he's going to resign or whatever. But for that reason, for Pacioretty not being in the lineup, I think Timo Meyer makes a ton of sense for Carolina, who is just having a fantastic season uh, this year. And really, they're built very well, top to bottom, but could always use more scoring. They don't have many guys who are above a point per game. Uh, I haven't looked today, but I think last time I looked, it was only Aho who was above a point per game. So they could use some scoring like that in their top six. And Carolina is a team that's criticized for not being super tough. Um, when it comes to the playoffs. So again, adding a guy like Timo Meyer gives you some, you know, grit, some sandpaper up front. He throws a ton of hits. So the fit to me is perfect for Carolina. In terms of the package and the deal that I think could shake out between the two teams, I mean, obviously going to Carolina is Timo Meyer at 50% retained uh, at, at a bare minimum. I think if they wanted to get a third team involved, like Toronto did with the Ryan O'Reilly deal, they could do that. I'm not sure they need to right now. They have almost $4 million in uh, projected LTIR space that is usable right now. So I don't know. It would depend what other moves they want to make. But at the very minimum, 50% retained on Timo Meyer. And in return, this is kind of a crapshoot. This is where the deal breaks down because it starts with a first round pick and then it ends with two or three of Carolina's B range prospects because I think Carolina has a ton of those and I'm looking at some players here one that comes to mind is uh, the 28th overall pick in 2019 Ryan Suzuki currently has 17 points in 25 AHL games this year um, for Chicago another one is Jack Drury 42nd overall in 2018 16 points in 18 AHL games this season and then as a third piece on top of the first two and a first round pick. I would pick one of uh, uh, Simon Forsmark, Noel Gundler, Zion Nybeck, or Gleb Trikozov, or Cruz Lucius. They have a ton of players, none of whom I think are projected to be like sure bet top six players. I think there's a lot of magic beans in their prospect pool, despite it being very good, uh, given the fact that they're a contending team. But that's how I see this deal shaking out. I, I, I feel like it's a deal similar to like you mentioned case with Taylor Hall a few years back where they just get a bunch and kind of hope for the best in San Jose, that is. So that's the deal. What do you guys think about that? It's kind of loosely constructed, but that's how it stands. So how, how, so how many prospects were they getting? Sorry. Three prospects and a first round pick. Because I think all of the prospects that I mentioned, with the exception of uh, I mean, maybe Noel Gundler, who was a second round pick um, recently, are in the B range. So I think three B prospects and a first. So is that better than an A prospect, a B prospect, a current player, a first and a fourth? Because 
the one thing that I, the only reason I actually think that he can come to New Jersey is Tom Fitzgerald said, before you trade him, call me and I'll one up it. And I think that New Jersey can one up that Carolina deal. I like all those players and I like the idea because you're, you're saying everything I was saying about Taylor Hall trade and like New, San Jose has ranked the 17th um, pipeline in the league. So they need a ton of prospects. Mm-hmm. And this trade makes a lot of sense to me and I do like it. But I think that in this competitive market, it might, it, it's going to get beat. Um, I think that the one thing Carolina and what I've read has to offer for Timo Meyer, and I don't think that they want to do it, is Seth Jarvis. 100%. And to me, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would do that either. He's really fit in there. He's stepped up. He's having not as good of a season this year as he did last year, but that's a great player, and, and he's only going to get better as well. He's still young. Um, but yeah, like, again, I think that this deal makes a lot of sense. And I like the, you know, first and then tons of prospects because that's what San Jose needs. But I think it can get topped. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. Although I, I do like the package and uh, Carolina kind of uh, flies under the radar when it comes to having a, a really strong prospect pool. There are a lot of names that you can mention there. One name that I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention, Chad, was uh, their uh, probably their best uh, defensive prospect, and that's Scott Morrow, a, a second-round pick in, in 2021. So you could always throw him in there. We, we talked a few minutes ago about how they're kind of thin when it comes to defensive prospects. So he could be in there as well. But yeah, if you're comparing this to the package that uh, the first one that you came up with case, I mean, that one definitely beats it. But still, I, I think that this would be a solid return for uh, for San Jose, um, you know, solid uh, three, four assets there. And uh, Carolina gets a, a player who would just make them even better. And again, like I, I said, when talking about the Hurricanes a couple of weeks ago, just a guy that would give them some easy goals, which they really desperately need. So I like it. Yeah. I mean, Carolina's having the second best season in the league after the Boston Bruins. So yeah, they, they need that one piece to add to push them over the top. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for Carolina. I even when I was mentioning this package, I don't know that it's the best available deal that they could put together. I think obviously that best package starts with Seth Jarvis, but I just don't think it makes sense for Carolina to do that because it doesn't make them that much better, I don't think, in the long term to get rid of a player like Seth Jarvis, a good young player who's in your lineup now and contributing, you know, like he just got his first hat trick the other night. I don't think it makes sense to get rid of him, even though Timo Meyer is very, very good. Like it's, it's a fine line you have to walk as a GM. And if the fit's not there because of the price, then, oh, well, you move on to the next player, you know, and maybe you add somewhere else. Maybe it's on the back end. Maybe it's in your bottom six instead. So I think it makes sense for Carolina, but if the price is too steep, um, they're likely not going to pay it. The reason I brought them up as a team is because they just have so many B-level prospects who I think, you know, the uncertainty sort of ranges between all of those guys, and there are some who are more certain than others, but I just look at their prospect pool, and I like a lot of the players, but they're just all B-level prospects, you know what I mean? One thing I'll, I will also say about 
like I I also like all the players you named. I've been pretty vocal about how how I think Carolina drafts pretty good. They're not afraid to pick a undersized player that I like. Um, but I think it does kind of fit under the same category as Mukumadulin for the Devils, where the Devils are pretty high on on Mukumadulin and they picked them earlier than most people would think. But Carolina is also picking all these players that are slipping and they, they slip out of the first round like Nyback and um, Gundler and there's one more I can't remember. But these are guys that slip. So it's guys that Carolina is pretty high on and who knows if San Jose is thinking the same thing. So kind of the same same argument for against Muka Madulin is pretty similar to some of these B guys for Carolina. Guys that I like, but I don't know if they're necessarily the you know, the, the target for other teams. Very true. And with Carolina, we know that uh, they set a price and uh, they, they don't go over it, you know, and, and if they feel that it's too much, then they'll move on to the next thing. And uh, they do like players with terms. So, um, you know, you, you got to think that if they do end up taking a big swing and acquiring a player like Timo Meyer, they're going to want to sign him right away because they do like players with term. They don't like rentals. And uh, again, Dundon and uh, Don Waddell, they set a price and they don't go over it. They uh, they have a value on players that they, that they think is uh, fair and they don't go over it. Uh, all right, guys, uh, to wrap up the conversation about uh, the big fish uh, available at the deadline, um, I, I've got kind of a surprise team. So we get through like New Jersey and Carolina. Those two definitely at the top make the most sense. But a uh, team that has kind of just entered the uh, the the sweepstakes for Timo Meyer is the St. Louis Blues, which may come as kind of a surprise. And Chad, I know you've got a, a smirk on your face there because you sent this to me today. But I honestly, honestly, before you sent uh, that to me on uh, on Instagram, I was already thinking about this and had heard it from uh, a, a couple of hockey people a few times. Look. Um, yes, the, the Blues have sold off a bit here and definitely some more selling to come. We know that O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Achari and Mikola are out the door. We expect Ivan Barbashev to get dealt as well. But now the, uh, the Blues have given themselves uh, or themselves some draft capital to play with. They've got three first-round picks in a very deep draft, and uh, they could use that to their advantage. And now they have some cap flexibility as well. So with not having the desire to go through a long, grueling rebuild, they could go after a player like Timo Meyer to jump into their core and kind of retool this team quickly. And so that is why I'm, I'm going to go with the St. Louis Blues. It's definitely an interesting one. I don't expect it to happen, but it would be quite something if it does happen because we've seen this with Doug Armstrong before where he makes a couple of big deals, he gets a ton of assets, and then he flips those assets to bring in other players that are going to help his team right away. And I think that there's a real possibility of that. He certainly is an aggressive GM, as we've seen, and he's not afraid to let big names go, as we've seen here, and going back to Petrangelo, Perron, etc., and uh, and be aggressive and take big swings. So um, 
my deal, it's uh, definitely a, a bit of a, a lesser return compared to you guys. I have to say that, uh, you know, with, with the cap flexibility that St. Louis has now and fully expecting a player like Ivan Barbashev to head out the door at the deadline, no salary retention um, on San Jose's part for Timo Meyer. So the whole deal goes to the St. Louis Blues that final, uh, that final year of the $6 million. St. Louis is able to sign him right away to a long-term deal to join their core. And uh, going back to the Sharks in the deal, a 2023 first-round pick. Again, they have three of those. Um, so that gives San Jose another pick. And I think that there's a lot of desire for Mike Greer to have multiple first-rounders to move around the first round of the draft. Jimmy Snuggerud. A prospect. He goes the other way as well. He was a first round pick in last year's draft. And uh, of course, I've got a connection with him. His dad, Dave, played for San Jose for two seasons back in, in his career. So he would uh, certainly have a great resource uh, to find out what San Jose is like. So Snuggerud, a first, and then one more piece a second or a third in 2024. So kind of looking at this as uh, a similar deal to the Alex DeBrinkett one with uh, Chicago and Ottawa, where it's uh, a first, a second, and a third going to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, for Alex DeBrinkett, where in this case, you've got two firsts essentially and a second or a third going to the San Jose Sharks uh, from St. Louis for Timo Meyer. So what do you guys think of this deal, guys? Can't hear you, Case. I can't hear. Yeah. <coughs> when it comes to the there pieces we go. <laughs> going back to San Jose, I, I like it. And I, I think that San Jose would benefit from all of that and it makes a ton of sense. But when it comes to the trade making sense, in general, I don't, I don't like it. I did read about this San Jose th- or the uh, St. Louis Blues uh, possibly doing the reshaping and, and bringing in Meyer, but I only think that that really makes sense if this team didn't win a cup in 2018. Um, they have all these pro- uh, picks now, and that's what this team needs. They, well, they're ranked the 29th prospect pool in the league by uh the athletic and they do not have a lot of guys um even close uh and then to think that jimmy snuggerud would have to be involved in this he's probably their second best prospect maybe first best it's down to him and bull duke so i don't know if this team is in the position to be able to give up so many picks um especially because yeah the the team isn't competing now and they won't be able to compete for a long time if they give up all those picks as well whereas if you keep the picks grab a ton of prospects in the next year or two maybe four or five years later those guys are all ready and Cairo, robert thomas um all those guys they're still they're in their prime they're entering their prime at that time so i think it would make a lot more sense for this team to hold on to these picks and um, we've talked about this draft before and mentioned that the market is saying that second round picks are as highly valued as first round picks this year because it's such a deep draft. So having three first round picks, I think that's the best way to turn this team around within five years. 
And uh, Timo Meyer, sure, he's going to definitely make the team better right away. We've talked about how much we love this guy, but I don't know if San Jose or St. Louis has enough pieces around Timo Meyer, Cairo, and Robert Thomas to, to for this to really make as much sense. Now, if they're really crazy and want to go reshaping like this or retooling, whatever the phrase you want to say, I like the trade harp. Like the pieces are good. The trade is fair. Personally, I don't think the package is enough to land Timo Meyer, especially when we were talking about, you know, especially that first package that Casey brought up from New Jersey, talking about Holtz and, uh, you know, Seamus Casey, a first, etc. I think there would need to be another piece bigger than a second round pick if they were going to land Timo Meyer. But say two first, two first yeah, and a third. Yeah, sure. Something like that. My problem with the trade case is kind of the same issues that you have with it is that I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for this team. You know, like the problem is if you acquire Timo Meyer at the deadline, your team gets better. And then one of, you know, your best first actually of the three picks, I guess you wouldn't even have it anymore, but that pick gets worse because your team gets better on the ice. So I just think it would be a complete mortgage of their future. And that's not a good thing for a team who really, like, aside from, from Kairu and Thomas, like you mentioned, Case, they, they don't have very many prospects uh, coming up. Like, and then to give away Snuggerud would just be, again, kind of just mortgaging their future. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense for the team. I see why people are saying that they could be in on Meyer just because they have so many assets right now. Yeah. But I just think if you want to rebuild and do things <laughs> properly, a two to five year plan is way better than getting Timo Meyer, getting better on the ice, having yeah. worse draft picks and fewer draft picks. Because also too, you know, talking about how second rounders this year are as valuable as firsts in previous years, they don't have a second round pick this year. They only have the three firsts. So even if one of those goes, you know, they that's some massive draft capital that they're giving up. Yeah. Um again, I'm gonna restate my fact that or my point that if they if they didn't win a cup within the last five years this makes more sense to me but um that recent history kind of throws that out in my mind uh but yeah if it was if it wasn't for 2018 i'm saying sure why not go for it yeah well think about like imagine this were the washington capitals right kind of in a similar situation not really because the caps have been better than the blues this year but coming into this season kind of in a similar situation they won a cup a few years ago and now their core is aging and you know they're trying to compete for the playoffs washington obviously doing a better job uh, than st louis but if this was washington and they were on the outside looking in maybe it makes sense to kind of mortgage your future a bit to make one final push or a couple more pushes with the core that you already have but for for this young team in st louis well you know i say young because i'm referring to kairu and thomas who are two of their young stars i just don't think it makes sense to go all in right now and get Timo Meyer. No, for sure. And, and I think that, uh, the, the most 
what makes the most um, sense is to use all of those three first round picks or, you know, package one of them to get a couple of seconds or whatever in, in a very strong draft. But I could see this happening. Like we know how Doug Armstrong is. He's aggressive and uh, just, you know, this market not really having the appetite for a long grueling rebuild. And, uh, you know, one other young player who I think will end up being a big part of this team is Jake Neighbors that we haven't yes. uh, really mentioned. So um, you can throw him in there as well. But uh, th- this would be certainly crazy to see. And uh, again, I could have gone a couple of different ways. I could have gone with Vegas or Winnipeg, but I just, Winnipeg is kind of tough because I don't see Meyer signing there long term. And then with Vegas, I just, I don't think Mike Greer and the Sharks would have an appetite to trade him within their division to an organization that they don't particularly like as we've seen the rivalry yeah yeah Yeah, exactly so to me that doesn't make sense and you know um i think that like (laughs) the return from vegas would have to be all worldly to land Timo Meyer just because it's Vegas and, you know, the rivalry there and being in the same division. So I said, you know what, why not? I'll go with St. Louis because Doug Armstrong is aggressive and uh, he is not afraid to take big swings. But I, I would agree uh, why, you know, it, it would be cool if it happened, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Blues. All right, well, that wraps up the uh, the Timo Meyer conversation. So uh, good mock trades there, fellas. And uh, we'll have to get uh, our listeners' thoughts on uh, on Instagram with those three mock deals. And uh, we'll see what happens with Timo Meyer. Again, the deadline less than a couple of weeks away, happening on March 3rd. So let's wrap up this, uh, this episode uh, with Fantasy Corner. And then uh, we're going to get to our, uh, our interview um, to uh, to wrap things up in uh, in a little bit. So, uh, Case, let's go to you first uh, for Fantasy Corner. You're now listening to the Fantasy Corner right here on the Boys in the Booth podcast. Uh, lost last week. Super banged up team. Lost a lot of games played and... Luke's team, um, they really showed up in the the dying days. Really, Nico Heischer in particular, two goals, two and a, two assists on uh, Saturday. I think that was that really kicked my ass and pushed uh, Luke over the top. And I was saying that if I lost this game to Luke, that it's probably time for the for the teardown, the rebuild. But I don't know. I another win this week. I'm back in the playoffs and I think it's more fun to just kind of be competitive enough. I've got a lot of, of keepers on my team that I'm excited about and I've got the draft picks still remaining. So why not try to make the playoffs and get lucky or something? So I've got a big decision to make in the next 24 hours as our trade deadline is tomorrow and, and we'll see. Um, Pastor Knack might be the guy on the move. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're a conservative seller and that's the route you go. And maybe you just get a couple draft picks for a player that, you know, obviously you can't keep. And maybe that's Pasternak. So I could see it. There's a few of these guys that might as well just turn the app off for the rest of the year. Like 
I keep mentioning book hockey. Like <laughs> he's got like a borderline AHL fantasy team going now so he's got every draft pick in the world next year but like yeah not gonna have a lot of fun in the next four weeks yeah i was gonna say he's got like every pick next year so if he has i mean i haven't looked i remember we were talking about you know who he has for keepers and i don't think he has anybody crazy but if he has a couple good keepers and then three first round picks like he could have a dangerous dangerous squad next year that's for sure yeah. Uh and talking about the playoff race too case like every team from 7th to 12th has the same record 10 8 and 0. So two games over 500, but there's only two spots available for all of those teams, 7th and 8th. Um you know, unless a team like the Dirty Birdies drop down, which seems unlikely because they're 11 7 and 0. Nico is our captain is 12 6 and 0. So it's a it's a tight race so i don't blame you for being a bit hesitant on whether you're gonna buy or sell because you know like if you get one big player you can make a push to make the playoffs but if you sell one big player then you could recoup some assets from someone you're not going to be able to keep so it's definitely a tough decision um talking about my week last week guys this was my one chance to take over first place in the league and my guys absolutely blew it. It wasn't even close. It was supposed to be, I I was projected to win 251 to 244. I think both of which would have been the highest point totals in our league. It was one and two facing off against each other, myself and Kuznetsov's third line. He ended up beating me 246 to 209, so he outperformed expectations just by a couple points, and I underperformed by about 40. It didn't help that Alex Ovechkin was in Russia uh, dealing with the death of his father. Obviously not going to blame him about that. That was uh, a tough loss for him and the hockey community, obviously, but also my fantasy team. Um, Timo Meyer was also hurt last week. Matt Murray got put on LTIR, so I don't know when he's coming back, if ever, for the Maple Leafs. And the pickups that I made just didn't work out. You know, I picked up a guy like Barrett Hayton. He really struggled all week long. Uh, I believe the first game he played for me, he was minus three and a half points. So that just started me off terribly. (laughs) Um, He finished the week with five points, and I believe he played four games. So he's getting dropped immediately. Uh, I picked up uh, Harvey Pennard from Montreal, and he only had seven and a half points. He was touted as this, you know, incredible fantasy player, which he has been on the up and up, but seven and a half points for a week isn't going to cut it. The only player that showed up for me really was Boone Jenner, who had 28 points. Uh, But other than that, it was lackluster from all my boys. And I'm just really hoping that uh, when it comes to playoff time and I have to beat Kuznetsov's third line, I'll be able to do it uh, with everybody healthy. So I lost last week. I remain in second place with a record of 16-2-0. Kuznetsov's third line remains perfect in first place, 18-0-0. Holy. Wow. Yeah, holy is right. And uh, not a good week uh, for me last week as well. It was supposed to be a lot closer, although I was projected to lose against uh, your brother-in-law, Cameron there, Chad, uh, North Korea, uh, with 
Paul Korea's last name there. Great team name. And uh, anyway, so yeah, he clobbered me 217 to 165 and uh, just didn't have enough strong performances. Arturi Lekkinen, my best performer, only at uh, 20.75 uh, points. And Brady Kachuk was a monster for him last week with 44 fantasy points. So uh, got a close matchup so far this week against uh, Eichel Tower, but really need a win this week because I've lost the last uh, two weeks back to 500. I'm 9-9 and and in 13th place right now in danger of uh, falling out of the playoff race here. So uh, need a win this week for sure. If you're looking to sell Harp, I'm buying. I got some picks left. Not many, but a couple picks left. So if Zach Hyman is on the block or Vasilevsky, let me know. Not a chance. Like I said in the in the group chat, uh, the Sunnyvale Hockey Club will be a conservative buyer. So we'll see what uh, what we can do. But uh, yeah, got to get back in the race here and get a win this week. Anyway, uh, good episode, boys. Good to chat with you guys uh, again. Deadline coming up on March third. Can't wait for that. Uh, and again, let us know what you think about our uh, Timo Meyer mock trades. And uh, again, we've got a, a special guest. Uh, a part of the Toronto Maple Leafs alumni who was uh, here in Brockville this past weekend for the Brockville Winter Classic is uh, Trevor Kidd. And uh, so here is a uh, part of the interview that he and I did last week. So enjoy that, and we'll talk to you again next week. Trevor, I, I got to ask you right off the top, and I've had a lot of people uh, ask me prior to this that uh, th- this has got to be the first question you have to ask. So just how did you end up with those iconic Brian's checkered pads? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I mean, always had, uh, I would say, different gear, uh, helmet going back to my uh, uh, Calgary days. And uh, in Calgary, had the flames on on the pads and uh, fire breathing dragon on the helmet. And uh, when I was traded uh, to Carolina, trying to think of something different, uh, the checker is actually. And again, going back to uh, those Carolina days, uh, the hurricane warning flag looks exactly like that. It looks yeah. like that checker so um the the real story behind it is the pads were uh you know i said let's put this uh, hurricane warning uh, basically symbol on my my pads my glove my blocker and it turned out uh that yeah it looked like a checkerboard pattern and uh <laughs> kept it uh loved it uh, certainly kept it in toronto and it's been kind of neat uh, after all these years uh I know there's been, uh, I think it was uh, Sparks there award uh, in Toronto. Yeah. I see various other kids still have this checkerboard uh, pattern. Brian still makes it. Uh, they get a lot of requests for it. So the the longevity of the, of the pattern uh, <laughs> and of the thought going many moons ago uh, still exists today, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was going to be my next question for you. Just uh, your initial reaction to uh, Garrett Sparks wearing them in Toronto. And as you mentioned there, seeing so many kids requesting those kinds of pads, uh, that that must make you feel pretty good. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's... Uh uh, and I'm not sure if the the old Brian's guys that I worked with uh, way back when, but uh, it was always so collaborative. Uh, uh, they were a, a unique uh, company, uh, you know, 25 years ago, and uh, they tried to make uh, 
Uh, you know, goaltenders wear this helmet. Uh, equipment and, 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 and what it looked like was an expression. And Brian's was always so uh, willing to be collaborative in that and finding that ex- expression with uh, what a design would look like, not only for a helmet, but certainly the, the, the pads and the glove and the blocker that uh, the guys wear. And you see a little bit that still today with uh, the Brian's type gear. So, um Still have, uh, I have some Toronto Maple Leaf uh, uh, versions of that, but I actually don't wear that stuff because I, I <laughs> for some reason, I, I, I feel that uh, uh, I'm going to pass it down the line here in our family. And uh, so I have a version of it. I wear the, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, version of that checkerboard powder, and that's what I usually wear when I'm playing that. Oh, really cool. And, uh, you know, Trevor, your uh, NHL career was really interesting. You you dealt with a lot of, um, you know, high expectations and uh, and pressure. You were a first-round pick back in the 1990 draft uh, from the Calgary Flames. And, uh, you know, then you end up in Toronto for, for two seasons uh, in the mm-hmm. latter part of your career. And, look, Toronto is not an easy place to play, as you know. And so how did you deal with the pressure of... Uh, of that during your two seasons with the club, being a netminder and a first-round pick as a goaltender right. as well, how did you deal with all of that? Well, my junior career was 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 great. It was fast and furious, uh, starting with the Wheat Kings and Spokane Chiefs, the Memorial Cup one that was Spokane, and three World Juniors, winning two of those, and playing the Olympics. And you know, you mentioned uh, the first-round uh, draft pick to Calgary and starting my career off there. Uh, as we've spoken about, uh, played uh, with Carolina, was in Florida for three years, and, and then finished things up in, in, in Toronto. I think what I, I remember the most about Toronto, when you're a young player, and I, I, I tell the story going back, uh, and, and hockey players now for Hockey Canada, uh, to me, does such an amazing job with with the media part of the game. There's so much more uh, education, um um, dealing with players that they're just better equipped that they stepped into the uh, NHL to handle the microscope, the pressures, the daily living, the media, the attention, all those sorts of things. So those first few years in Calgary, I would say I overly embraced that component. Yeah. Um, would sometimes you know, even perhaps resent some of it, uh, that daily attention, the media, uh, you know, a, uh, a Canadian market, right? And oh, for sure. Uh, then you go off to Carolina, and you go off to Florida. And when I got traded back to Toronto, I, I you, you mentioned the pressures and the attention, the microscope, the fishbowl. I loved it, <laughs> and and just it was you know maybe a little bit more mature, yep. having a few more years underneath the belt. I, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever to have that type of uh, attention on a daily basis, and not just at the rink. Going for a coffee, going to the mall, getting gas at the gas station, <laughs> uh, you know, walking the mall, whatever it was, everywhere you went, it was, I, I could not believe the hockey fan and, and, and how they would recognize you, how they um, would, would ask you, you know, what happened there last night? Uh, it's, you guys, a great week. Uh, uh, that game last night, love that play, and it was it was nonstop. And uh, again, when I go back to Calgary, what a not resent a little bit resented, but I wouldn't embrace that. Right, it was more of an inconvenience. And uh, coming back to Toronto, I just I, I love that part of it uh, that that the hockey fan was just so in tune and so aware 
of what their Toronto Maple Police <laughs> were doing, and and not big picture. Like we're talking living and breathing uh, every single. Oh, yeah. like, what happened last night? Whether <laughs> that be a win, loss, or a draw. Uh, what happened? How can we fix it? How can we bottle it? How can we move forward? How, you know, Stanley Cup, this, that, the other thing. It, uh, it was a lot of fun those two years in that regard. This has been another episode of Boys in the Booth with Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. Connect with the Boys in the Booth on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Boys in the Booth. Visit boysinthebooth.com for show details. And don't forget, you can become a patron of the podcast for just $1 a month at patreon.com slash boysinthebooth.